This is episode 125 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on April 29th, 2022. Hello and welcome to episode 125 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And for Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. Coming up, Mayin Gun Henry, the Faculty of Health's first Indigenous knowledge keeper, discusses his new role. New episodes of the podcast come out every week, and you can find our archive of past shows and helpful links on SoundCloud.com. Please recommend us to your colleagues and connections at Waterloo. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. This weather kind of threw me a little bit. I mean, when the podcast comes out, the weather will be nicer. But um, I couldn't understand why it was so cold in my house. And then I realized that when it was super warm, I had turned off the furnace. So it was 16 degrees in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same thing happened at my at my place. Uh, a lot of windows were open for a couple of days. And then I lost track of them all. So some of them were still open. And I'm like, where's that chill coming from? You leave windows open? Sure. See, I have allergies. I never open my windows. Ah, uh, fair enough. My house is like hermetically sealed. <laughs> and I'm stuck in here with two cats and a dog. I'm also yeah, you're sure that, too. <laughs> that's not making it worse. <laughs> I can't win. Now, here's what's been happening. First, some breaking news. The university is asking students, faculty, and staff to submit their most up-to-date proof of vaccination in the revamped campus check-in tool beginning this week. Please provide your up-to-date vaccination status and update your record if your status changes, for example, if you get a booster dose. The new system requires that you must supply a valid Canadian or Ontario vaccination certificate with a QR code. So you should submit your proof of vaccination even if you've previously submitted information to the university. The new campus check-in tool allows you to see the status of your submission, making it easy to see if you've provided the right documentation. And if your status has been accepted and approved, and you can update your information if your immunization status changes. It's all very, uh, very slick, a very slick interface. You can obtain an Ontario vaccine certificate with QR code, even if you did not receive immunizations in Canada, by registering with Region of Waterloo Public Health. If you have questions about how to submit your proof, please check the frequently asked questions on the COVID-19 information website or email coronavirus at uwaterloo.ca. International students should reach out to the International Student Experience Team at ISE at uwaterloo.ca to ensure that their vaccine and or quarantine requirements are being met. We will put a link to the campus check-in in our show notes on SoundCloud. After more than a year of planning and consultations with the university community, the President's Anti-Racism Task Force, or PART, has developed 88 recommendations aimed at rooting out and eliminating racism at the university. PART is made up of a team of advisors from Black, Indigenous, and other racialized groups on campus committed to addressing racism at the university. These individuals developed an overarching framework for dismantling racism and discrimination and for building and sustaining an inclusive environment. Vice President, Research, and International Charmaine Dean acted as PART's executive designate. And just to note, we will welcome Charmaine back to the podcast next week for episode 126 with a deeper discussion about the report. So we won't go into too much detail right now or go through all 88 recommendations, but to summarize, uh, PART has recommended reviewing university policies through the lens and principles of equity, diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism, 
providing a basic understanding of decolonization approaches and direction for faculty and staff to review, revise existing, and develop new programs and services with an anti-racism lens, and appropriately engaging and consulting with Indigenous and other racialized communities to achieve an equitable academic research and campus environment. In his response to the report, President Goel has expressed his sincere gratitude to the members of PARC and its working groups and all members of the community who have been involved in anti-racism initiatives across Waterloo's campuses. Well, President Goel will be convening a President's Forum on May 19th at 10 a.m. It will include a panel of PARC co-chairs and leaders, including Charmaine Dean, Jim Rush, Christopher Taylor, and Jean Becker. You can register for the forum and submit any questions you may have about PARC's final report. We'll put the link to the part report, the president's response, and the forum registration in our episode show notes. And while we're on the subject of reports, the University of Waterloo has published its first report to reflect on some of the work being done across the university to advance the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. These 17 goals are a global framework agreed to by all countries intended to guide nations and institutions in building a better future for all. The report includes a foreword from President Goel, key accomplishments achieved in 2021, an overview of different campus groups whose efforts are supporting sustainable development towards each SDG goal, and plots the number of researchers, publications, collaborations, and courses that touch on SDG topics. Sounds pretty comprehensive. Key accomplishments highlighted in the report include Waterloo being ranked 14th in the world and third in Canada for efforts towards ending hunger and improving food security by the Times Higher Education University Impact Rankings, launching the Waterloo Institute for Sustainable Aeronautics, the world's leading hub for sustainable aviation and aerospace research, and making an official climate emergency declaration. And just to note to people that Suzanne Kearns from WISA was the interview guest in episode 118. So go back and listen if you want to know more about WISA. At the university, the SDGs are an integral part of the campus sustainability strategy. The university is host to SDSN Canada, an organization dedicated to implementing the SDGs through education, research, policy analysis, and global cooperation. Waterloo is also a founding member of the University Global Coalition, which works with campuses from around the world to support implementation of the SDGs in education. We'll put a link to the report in our show notes on SoundCloud. I think we should throw a couple more SDGs in there. SDG, SDG, SDG. Now, here's what's coming up. W Store Course Materials and Supplies and South Campus Hall will be closed to in-store shopping to prepare for a renovation project that will continue throughout the spring term and that's scheduled to be completed by mid-August in time for fall preparations and students returning to classes. The goal of this renovation is to enhance customer shopping experience through improved product fixtures and cosmetic upgrades. W Store is also using this renovation as an opportunity to respond to market changes and customer feedback. And what are those market changes, you might ask? Well, it's, a, it's basically a response to shifts towards digital publishing for course materials and textbooks and online ordering of physical materials. And so W Store has decided to remove self-serve in-person shopping of most course materials effective immediately. That said, they will still maintain normal inventory levels, and uh, you can continue to purchase course materials, textbook, and digital materials through wstore.ca. Students will still have many options for delivery of required course materials, including pickup in South Campus Hall, shipping to an on-campus student residence, front desk, or shipping off-campus to a preferred address. Or an undisclosed location. 
Actually, I guess it would have to be disclosed if you're shipping it because where else would the <laughs> delivery person know? A not so <laughs> secret location, maybe. That's right. But that's how they got Osama bin Laden, right? He kept on ordering stuff off Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> By placing textbooks out of sight in the South Campus Hall basement, where orders will be packed for shipping or pickup, it frees up more floor space and allows for customized student services. This change will allow the Print and Retail Solutions team to meet students' needs even more effectively in the future as they adapt to the rapid evolution of the course materials landscape and the changing expectations of students. Speaking of students, a student team from the university will be competing in a four-year event to engineer a next-generation battery-powered electric vehicle. Waterloo will tackle the EcoCar EV Challenge alongside teams from 14 other North American schools, including the Georgia Institute of Technology and Virginia Tech. We are one of only two Canadian universities who were selected to participate in this competition. Sponsors for the event are the United States Department of Energy, General Motors, and MathWorks, and it's managed by the Argonne National Laboratory. It challenges students to use the latest automation and vehicle connectivity technology to improve energy efficiency, add features for consumers, and help the automotive industry meet its decarbonization needs. And let me say, if we're going to be adding features for consumers, can we please get tape decks back in automobiles? <laughs> Teams chosen for this prestigious event, which begins this fall and continues until the spring of 2026, will receive extensive financial support and mentoring while building on a donated 2023 Cadillac Lyric. I could stand some extensive financial support and mentoring. Well, I would take a 2023 Cadillac Lyric myself. I mean, speaking of the United States Department of Energy, I just saw a video of, uh, I guess, what would it be, Secretary of Energy trying to put a a charge, uh, like an EV charge uh, plug into the into a car at a gas station, and not doing a great job of it. It's much like much like Jason Jason Kenny trying to f- trying to fill up a pickup truck. You'd think they would practice it before the before the cameras are rolling. I blame cool. the comms people. <laughs> oh, that's standard procedure. Somewhere, somewhere, someplace, a comms person is to blame <laughs> for everything. <laughs> Volunteers are still needed for the upcoming in-person spring convocation ceremonies in June. There are 18 ceremonies taking place from June 11th to June 18th. Staff, faculty, and students are encouraged to get involved, and managers should promote this opportunity to their teams. If you want to learn more and sign up, please do, because 18 is a heck of a lot of convocation ceremonies. Visit the convocation website for volunteer job descriptions and available shifts. We'll put the link in our episode show notes on SoundCloud. And now the interview. As the Faculty of Health's first Indigenous knowledge keeper, Mayingun Henry provides strategic leadership to the faculty and its response to the truth and reconciliation calls to action. He is a former chief, advisor to the Ontario Provincial Police, and elder at other post-secondary institutions. In the interview this week, he shares what motivates him and his goals in this new role at Waterloo. I'm so pleased you could join me, Mayan Gun. Welcome to the podcast. Ani Vujo. It's nice to be here. I'm just uh, excited to share this time with you and talk about some exciting things. Me too. How would you describe the function of an Indigenous knowledge keeper? Well, you know, if we go across uh, Canada, you'll get various definitions of what that is. So we're defining it here in, in a way that we think is comfortable for for this university. And I think the function of a 
of a knowledge keeper, uh, well, to reflect on, on the various nations that, that live in a region. We have Métis and Inuit and First Nation people. And if I can kind of uh, get the university to start looking at perspectives that uh, maybe they've overseen in the past, but I think uh, my role will be to... Uh, try to energize this university some on some things that weren't discussed uh, for many years here. Like what? Well, I guess when you look at uh, indigenizing anything, it's talking about our, our beautiful mother, the earth, and everything that we do in life depends on how well we treat our mother, the earth. And I think we need to at least include an opportunity to see how we maintain our, our relationship and keep her healthy for generations to come. So that, that's kind of like what I'm trying to do. I'll lead ceremonies, I'll, you know, to the certain extent that I can. Um, there's, like I said, there's different nations that live in a region, so I can't do some of the ceremonies that other nations do. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll do sunrise ceremonies, we'll do uh, smudging ceremonies, I'll do healing ceremonies right in my office. Uh, we do naming ceremonies. Uh, so there'll be many things that we do here. Hmm. Can you explain what a naming ceremony is for people who don't know? Well, for um, an, an Indigenous person that, you know, has uh, endured things like residential schools in the past, and, and a lot of our ceremonies were taken away from us, or we didn't practice them, we might have been persecuted for the fact that we were. So now we're regaining a lot of these ceremonies once again, and people are wanting to know what their spirit name and their clans are, and their, their natural colors are. And so a naming ceremony is that. It, it, it's seeking out their, their traditional name, and, uh, and maybe if their clan is needed, we'll find that too. I, the way that these are done is I, I, through a pipe ceremony, I'll, I'll interact with, with, with the spirits, with, with our creator. And then when creator is kind enough to bring that message back, I just become somebody who delivers that back to them. They already have a spirit name. They just don't know it. It changes their lives because, you know, you're searching for your your role here on this earth. And sometimes it takes a long time to figure things out like that. But if you have your spirit name early, then it takes out a lot of the guessing and challenges that you might have trying to search for things. So you know who you are. And especially if you know your clan, you know your characteristics, you know what it's easier to make decisions in life when you know that. That sounds like the role of an elder. Is that what the role you're filling? Well, that's that's a high uh, word to live up to, but I, I definitely perform those duties as an elder, and uh, I, I, I'm honored to do that. Now, I can see you because we're talking on a web chat platform, and I see you're holding a wing. Yeah, I got my eagle feather here. It's a uh, you know, all these years of, of learning and, and, and trying to understand things, uh, there's a lot in my my brain here. And uh, when we have conversations like this, I don't know where all that comes from or where it's stored. So the eagle feather helps me define that. And it, it gives me some strength to know that the eagle is helping me even in a day-to-day conversation. So I, I hold the feather in honor of those uh, those warriors who fought, you know, to keep our traditions alive and the eagle feather represents them. So it helps me in conversation and helps me to remember things. I understand. What inspires you in this work? Life inspires me. Like, I know what we've gone through and I know the history that, you know, was was put upon our people. But to be able to recover some of that and to 
help an institution or people to, to see something they haven't seen before. It inspires me because it, I want to learn more. And a lot of our elders are, are getting to that age now where they're leaving this world. And the more that I sit with them, the more I feel that they're trying to present something so that I can carry on the legacy of Indigenous knowledge. And one thing that I want to tell you that it really inspired me mostly, a community member just outside of our nation called our nation and said they found some bones in their backyard. So I went over and looked at them, and um, I just had a feeling about those bones, that they might have been like relatives or something. Oh. You know, I don't know, there was a draw to it that made me feel that way, and uh, we both agreed that they would bring the archaeologist in, and, and they wouldn't take the bones, but they would examine them. <laughs> and they identified those bones to be indigenous bones of 3,500 years old. So we did the honorable thing. We, we, we buried them back into Mother Earth where we found them. But nobody touched those bones. Like the archaeologists, they had gloves on and, and they examined them, but they didn't touch them. I was the only one to have touched these bones with my bare hands. And at that moment, it was like they were speaking to me from their day on this earth about the knowledge, about the things that they dreamed about and thought about. And, and as I was putting them into the ground the way that we're supposed to back to our mother, the earth, it was like an honor. It was like a gift was given to me to, to take the knowledge that we have and to utilize that knowledge. So everybody, you know, learns by it, non-Indigenous and Indigenous people alike need to know why these are important. What an experience. Looking at the strategic plan for the Faculty of Health, goal number three is to, quote, learn as a faculty how to appropriately build indigeneity into our mission. How do you feel about that goal? You know, it wouldn't be that long ago we wouldn't have heard those words at an institution. I, I think uh, me growing up, I'm 62 now, I'll be 63 soon in the and I've been in a couple of battles in my life, uh, Wounded Knee, South Dakota, uh, Ipperwash, Oka battles. And during that time, we were fighting for people to understand Indigenous people. We were fighting to keep our ceremonies alive because we were considered the vanishing race for many years. So we, we come in to know ourselves a little bit more now. Our population is actually increasing. So I think for a... Uh, uh, a strategic goal to bring in indigenuity, you know, and making it a mission. It, it drew me to this. You know, I could have stayed where I was working before. I was comfortable, but knowing the people want to learn and, and they put it right into their strategic plan. Well, the reason I left my last place, because they didn't put it into their strategic plan. It, it was eliminated. Indigenous people were not even spoken about in, in the strategic plan. And we spent 13 years there trying to develop it so that it becomes a priority. And I was very uh, unhappy with that. But when I looked over here and seen the strategic plan, not just in this faculty, but across the university, uh, they really want to try their best to, to indigenize the university. I raise it just because it was in the media that you were at Conestoga College before you came to the University of Waterloo. You were in Oka, Eprawash, and Wounded Knee. Can you elaborate a bit on yeah. your experience there? As a young person, uh, product of residential schools, both my parents went there and uh, maybe wanting to take us away from the culture because of how they were treated at those schools. 
I, I found myself at a young age wondering what Indigenous people were fighting for. I end up uh, knowing that there was an incident happening in South Dakota, and, and I was pretty young at the time, but our community in Detroit wanted to go there and support the uh, the efforts of, um, of of keeping the culture alive. So I end up going with a, a group of people from Detroit, and I, I was immersed in our culture, like smudging ceremonies and prayers and pipe ceremony. And it wasn't like the battle that was drawing me there. It was it was the spirit of the people. And and every single battle that I've been to, Oka, Ipperwash, the battle was the last thing we wanted to do. It, it's coming and uniting ourselves through ceremony, which was the draw for every single battle that I've been in my life. You know, we, the last thing anybody wants to do is fight. But when it comes down to it, you almost have to at some point. So I, I seen those, those incidents that I've been to as such, such a rewarding opportunity for me to, to come to know who I am as an Indigenous person. Yeah, we have to battle sometimes, but we also come together in prayer and thoughts and, and good things too. Is that when you first became more immersed in your culture? it's probably the, the the pivot point in my life. Like uh, mm. we always went to powwows. We always knew we were native, but because my parents didn't uh, really push that in our family, uh, it was always from external sources like powwows or different elders. So, and then around that age, when I went, it, it really became more entrenched in who I am. Yeah, and so I, I'd say that was the biggest point in my life to, to want to understand my own culture. Mm. How old were you? 12. Now, getting back to what you were saying before about how you maybe wouldn't see the word indigeneity anywhere in any institution's strategic plan, what do you think is informing the change? Society has been, I'm going to say, mistreated in, in, in terms of the history of Indigenous people. Nobody was taught the true history in the way that Indigenous people seen it. It was always taught by the settlers and, and how they acknowledged taking of the land, you know, over through power and force and, and will and gut, but not necessarily how the indigenous people seen we shared the land with people because I guess our first reaction to the settlers was they probably are sick or they're probably hungry or they need shelter. You know, we <laughs> we actually wanted to help the people and, mm-hmm. and our first relationship was about peace and friendship. And then it became more dominant over our people. And then we got disguised within history because they wanted to reflect on the power that they had to overcome a continent that they they learned to explore. And so this is why I, I'm here to try to change that way of thinking so people can really understand the history that they have a right to know. Well, as part of that strategic plan of the Faculty of Health, it goes on to say that to achieve this goal of building indigeneity into the into their mission, uh, the faculty will pursue these objectives, creating new opportunities for Indigenous faculty, enhancing Indigenous student recruitment and outreach, supporting decolonization, cultural education opportunities for faculty, staff, and students, and finally, to support or create, uh, enhance an environment that invites and respects Indigenous ways of knowing. How would you describe your approach to encouraging that sort of environment for people who maybe are not familiar with it? 
Well, those words that you just read was a bit of a challenge to me because the way that I seen it was why bring indigenuity into a university or indigenous students into university to transform them into the way the mainstream operates under an educational system. So that part was something I, I have to work on here because we don't want to encourage indigenous staff students to come here and just um, uh, protect the way that institutions teach today. We want to change it so that it includes an indigenous uh, focus uh, on many of the things that they're teaching. So I, I had to wrestle with that a little bit. But I guess that's why it also says supporting decolonization. I I hope that they've really understood what that word means because, you know, we have buzzwords that we use and, and they sound nice, but to really decolonize a place is to disacknowledge everything you did to the Indigenous people. And, and that includes finance, that includes uh, curriculum, you know, inclusion, that includes everything that's going to make that change. So if you're using indigenize or, or decolonize, um, that's a real deep-rooted meaning, and, and we have to we have to collaborate and agree on what that means to the institution and the indigenous community. Hmm. Um, the faculty invites and respects indigenous ways of knowing. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to find out because. Uh, Faculty might have uh, um, a section that they teach on Indigenous knowledge, but where are they getting that information from? Or is it accurate? Or is it continual um, stereotypes that that we've uh, always come to know about Indigenous people? So my evaluation, which I'm doing now, is all about that. Like, where are you getting this information from? How do you understand it? It's relevant or, or, or real? And I'm, I'm not saying I'm an authority on everything, but I just want to make sure that it's done with, you know, consent of Indigenous people. Is there a reason why you'd want to be part of the Faculty of Health in particular? That's more my my area. I, I work as a traditional healer, uh, and some of the methods that I use for traditional healing uh, is really different from Western medicine. And I think what I need to do here is to include in the Faculty of Health some of the ways of understanding healing from an Indigenous perspective. Uh, I love science and I love research, but there's a spiritual element to healing too that sometimes goes amiss when we're teaching about uh, medicine and in healing practices. So I'm going to include that in everything that I do. You know, like let's balance it out with, with how we understand healing to, to be. Well, the faculty is home to global leaders in tobacco research, and tobacco has great importance in Indigenous culture. How might these two perspectives successfully coexist? Well, we've demonized uh, tobacco to a point where it's uh, it's become a recreational tool for people. But when we influence the understanding of tobacco, which is a sacred medicine for us, in fact, it was the first medicine that humans came to when we came to the earth. In, our, in the Ojibwe teaching, the earth was created perfectly and in harmony. And then the last part of creation was to bring humans to the earth. And they put us right next to the tobacco plant to use in our ceremonies. Remember when I said we do naming ceremonies and things like that? 
you have to pass tobacco to a person who does those ceremonies. And they use that tobacco to ask creator for those things. So tobacco can, I always tell people very clearly, it could, it could save you or, or it could kill you if you use it in the wrong manner. So I need to make sure that this understanding of tobacco has the respect of what that medicine does, but also have the respect of what that medicine can do if you, if you, if you don't use it properly. And we see health issues arise from people's unhealthy use of tobacco. Do you have a separate area where you'll be doing smudges and well, that, ceremonies? That's high on the list. We have to open this door to, to help un- people understand of how it can be beneficial. In fact, well, if, you, if we look at the laws today in Ontario, uh, the only thing that's exempt from the tobacco law is pipe ceremonies. So there's a section within the Ontario Smoking Act, I believe that's what it's called, allows for ceremonial use of tobacco. So we're exempt from um, the same regulations that would regulate smoking in a building. If I'm doing it in a spiritual manner, then it's fully uh, legal. What is the approach that you take to get changes made that you would like done? The way that I do things is through relationship. So you have to kind of be strategic in in everything you do, how you get the best results out of that. And, And I learned that from uh, a man named Elijah Harper, who who you might have heard about before. I've you, met him. Oh, did you? I used to live in Winnipeg. I used to work at the legislature. He was a great friend of mine. Uh, and um, I, I seen his mild manner, you know, open doors really wide just by being the way that he was. And I kind of mimic him in a lot of ways. I'm still friends with his wife. Uh, we, we still talk quite a bit. Can you just explain just for people who are from a different Vintage, maybe, <laughs> who may not even know what the Meech Lake Accord is. Could you, could you please explain Elijah Harper and his contribution? Well, I always tell people this. Um, one particular province, Quebec, always felt that they were special. They had a, a special reason for being a, a, a distinct province because they kept their French culture alive. During the, the time, 90s, uh, um, Canada was really considering giving them special acknowledgement as as a province here in Canada. And it had to go through the system. Uh, All the other provinces had to endorse it, you know, so it was a a process. And and for some reason, in some very unique reason, it came down to the legislature in Manitoba where an Indigenous man happened to be uh, Elijah Harper. He was part of this process to make the decision on, 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 on whether that was approved or not. And, and Elijah knew what happened to the indigenous people. So he um, bravely, you know, against all types of pressure for him to push this through, held an eagle feather up and said no. The, the, the most important thing is here, and, and ironic thing here was, it happened to land on an indigenous person's uh, opportunity to <laughs> to say no. Yeah. How how ironic would that be? You know, in Canada, we had no indigenous people hardly in 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 politics at that level, but he just happened to be there and he made that decision. And he's he's a hero today. You know, to to that generation and and I teach about him in my course, so I want everybody to know who Elijah Harper is. <laughs> and so the Meech Lake Accord did not go through. Exactly. 
what else would you like to share? Well, I'd like to, well, this might be hard for you to understand, but Bujo Mayingan and Dejnikaj Deshkanzibi no Jibaf Mayingando dem Getche Manado Chimigwech Minwaka Kinna Mandaganaj Wangij get Nongum. Getche Manado Chimigwech Minwaka Kinna Wisiak Mampi. Getche Manado Chimigwech Minwaka Kinna Wabanung Jawanung. Epping Nishmoki Wade Nung. Getche Manado Chimigwech Minwaka Kinna Ningo Do Demoin. I wanted to say that because uh, um, that language was against the law for us to use. Uh, uh, not too far in our history, um, to smudge, to dance at powwows were against the law. For us to um, to get a, a post-secondary education was against the law here in this country. For us to join the military was against the law here in this country. And uh, for a Native woman to marry a non-Native man, she lost her status. But if a Native man married a non-Indigenous woman, she gained full status as a Native person. These are things that I think Canada needs to understand. So I like to tell people, let's open up these conversations. And what it'll do, it'll stamp out some of the racism and stereotypes that we have because they only come from people that don't understand. And, and this is where I want to go with our conversations, you know, all the time you know, of why we have treaty rights, why we all sign those treaties, and, and why we all have to live up to them. Well, I'm glad that you spoke to me in your, your traditional language. Was that Ojibwe? That was Ojibwe, yes. I understood Miigwech, yep. but I didn't understand anything else. You're right. <laughs> I thank Creator for everything. I, it was almost like a little prayer that I gave thanks to uh, this beautiful life that we have. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for being here at the university and here with me today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. It was appreciated. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. Please follow us on Twitter at UW Daily Bulletin. You can find select interviews on the university's YouTube channel as well. Just look for the Beyond the Bulletin playlist there. Stay safe and wear a mask. You can reach us by email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. Thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. I'm looking at my uh, my texting, and I text a lot of people with the initials BS. As as initial holder of those two initials, I uh, I quite enjoy I getting know. those. <laughs>